Our teaching text for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand that he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, friends. It is wonderful to be sharing with you today. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Caleb Clardy. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Grace. Uh, We are continuing our Easter tide, these 40 days after Easter, and we're looking at some of Jesus' most famous parables. Uh, And so story after story, picture after picture, uh, all this imagery is bringing into focus, um, but also experience uh, what the kingdom of God is and how can we participate in it? How can it somehow uh, be a thing that becomes our very life, becomes our hope? And interesting, this uh, famous story of Jesus as the gate and the good shepherd um, is told right after there was a miraculous healing. This takes place in John 10, and there was a miraculous healing in John 9, uh, but the healing kind of gets mixed reviews. Uh, Not everyone is crazy about it. A man who was born blind can suddenly see. And so that would seem like an unqualified good. Uh, But some of the religious leaders of Jesus' day are upset 
um, by the day that it happened on. And, and maybe that seems absurd to, to us, but they're, they're frustrated that this healing took place on the Sabbath. Um, they try to call into question whether the man was really born blind. Uh, they question his family. Uh, they check with the guy. They actually ask him, hey, where, where did Jesus, you know, where's Jesus gotten off to? And he's like, I don't know, man. I just started seeing. You're going to have to go look for him. And something incredible has happened but these Pharisees are not enjoying it because it is a threat to the world as they know it. It is a threat to the world they understand, where they know their place, they know uh, their power and influence. And so they despise this miracle. And before we hate on them, which is kind of easy to do when you read the, the gospel accounts and you, you come in contact with the Pharisees and Jesus' reaction to the Pharisees, before we hate on them, we should probably have a little compassion for where they're coming from, or at least understand the world uh, that they're uh, trying to represent. The, the Pharisees uh, emerged during the intertestamental period, which you can hear and, and probably immediately forget. But there, this was the 400 years when there was no prophet in Israel. And the people were trying to sort out what to make of all the promises that God had given to Abraham and to, to Isaac and Jacob and to Moses and to, and to the nation. And several different empires had, had conquered and occupied the land during that time. And the latest of these was, was Rome. So the Pharisees' response, and there, was, there were other groups who had different responses, but the Pharisees' response during this 400-year period as they had sort of grown up a, a, as a group was that, okay, listen, the promises are delayed. These foreign powers are in charge. The only way we're going to get back again to the nation we're supposed to be, to the people we're supposed to be, to the vocation God has given us in the world is if we begin to obey God's word. We have to keep Torah if we expect Yahweh to bless us. And if you go back and you read Torah, it's actually a pretty good response. We can uh, you know, immediately lash out at the Pharisees' response. But what they were trying to do had a, 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 a decent um, sort of foundation in, in the Torah, in God's word. And it's understandable. The trouble was that they had let their control and their influence, the power that it gave them, go to their hearts a bit. And, and they wanted to make sure no one got anywhere close to breaking the law. So they built a fence around the Torah. So what this meant was essentially there were all these extra regulations before you got close to violating a, a law that you might have found in God's word. And so there were all these Sabbath regulations they made for protection that were now just as important to them as the law. So that meant they could see a miracle of God and be mad about what day it happened on. And interestingly, all through history, God seems fine with shaking up our categories in this way. And so, so Right after this moment, and it's important, uh, you know, sometimes when we, we see these parables and, and to us they feel like, you know, these just um, sort of self-contained stories, but they're taking place in the movement of Jesus' ministry. And it's often helpful to understand why Jesus is telling a particular story when you see what's happened just before it. And so after they have despised this miracle, Jesus tells a story about sheep and shepherds 
about thieves and robbers, uh, about false shepherds and hired hands, and, and, and ultimately about life and death. And, and this imagery isn't just pulled out of nowhere. It's deeply connected to the whole story. It's especially deeply connected to Israel's story. Israel's leaders and kings in the Old Testament were often depicted as shepherds. This is one of the primary metaphors for Israel's leaderships, for Israel's king. So the, the, the Pharisees who knew these stories incredibly well, they had memorized most of them. They knew the law and the prophets. Their ears would have been absolutely burning as Jesus launched into this story. The, the language he's using calls to, to mind places in their scripture like Ezekiel 34. Listen to what God says in, in Ezekiel 34. And when you think about the parable of the good shepherd, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. High hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Tough to hear. <laughs> Honestly, a very convicting pastor passage. If you are a, a leader in Israel, this would have been a terrifically convicting passage. I read it now and think, oh, how am I doing as a pastor? What would Jesus, how would he evaluate the way I'm, I'm leading in our church? Tough to hear, but there was a promise as well. The promise came a little later in Ezekiel 34 that God was going to come as shepherd himself. He says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep. Remember when David taught just a little while back about leaving the 99 and going after the one? This imagery is all through Israel's history. Look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I will look after my sheep. This is God speaking. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land. So God is going to take uh, the place of these bad, selfish shepherds that are not doing their job. He's going to do the job himself. But actually, then the passage gets a little bit weird for, for, for a moment. Just a few verses later, he said, I'm going to come replace these bad shepherds, do the job myself. And then just a little bit later, he says, I will place over them one shepherd. So God's going to do it, and then God's going to do it by putting someone else in place. I'm going to place over them one, one shepherd, my servant David. He will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So the shepherds are dropping the ball. God's going to replace them, do the job himself. But God's going to do that by putting a shepherd in place, and that shepherd is going to be David. Sounds, sounds fantastic, except that Ezekiel was written after David had been dead for quite some time. And everyone knew that. So as 
Ezekiel the prophet is saying, God's going to be your shepherd. And the way God's going to be your shepherd himself is to come as the King David. They would have known he's talking about Messiah. He's talking about one in the line of David who's going to come as Israel's Messiah. This is the way the promise went. So God's going to do the work himself, but he's going to come as Israel's Messiah. I'm saying all this to you so that we can hear these words that Jesus is saying with the full weight and power and force and beauty that they carry. Because I want to tell you something. These few verses where Jesus is, is telling the story of being the gate and being the good shepherd contain some of the most powerful promises of any story in the Bible. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating here. What, what Jesus says that we get through union with him is absolutely staggering. When we come to see what the good shepherd is offering to the sheep, it is, it is unbelievable. The speaking voice of God, abundant life, unrivaled in its fullness, loving protection, a, a beautiful, diverse family that we share in now and we will share in for all eternity. The personal benefits are actually the very best in the world, but they're not just personal. And that's what's so important. They come as a part of this world-spanning, time-spanning, era-spanning, covenant faithfulness of God, repair of the world. It's connected to what God was doing when he first called Abraham, when he first called Israel out of slavery in Egypt. When he first spoke to us, it's, in a, it's like an on-ramp into this highway of God's promises. So there's a personal place that all of us access, the speaking voice. God, the abundant life, his protection and guidance, his beautiful, diverse family. But we're not just reading the story to get little bits of encouragement for only us personally. It is a part of this world-spanning covenant faithfulness of God. I say that because the Pharisees despised a miracle because they could only see how it was affecting them and their little world and the, and the sort of sections they had drawn out for themselves, the places they were comfortable with. They missed that a man who was born blind could see. They despised the miracle. God was visiting them. The kingdom was coming. Actually, the very reason they were keeping Torah so that God would turn to them and bless them, God was turning to them and blessing them, and they were missing it because of how much they were trying to keep Torah. They were busy about many religious activities and missing God. What would cause us to miss God like that? Because I want to say, people, we cannot afford to miss what Jesus is offering in this parable. And we can't afford to miss the place that it's found. It is found in union with Him. We have a wonderfully sophisticated city that is gradually opening up after this pandemic. And it is a joy to see. Yesterday, uh, before we recorded, this was an absolutely perfect spring day. We live in this world of marvelous variety. You are a click away uh, from, from things that generations before us would have thought was an absolute fantasy in the world. And, and we might get glimpses of incredible things out there in the world, but the promises that I'm talking about here, the promises that we pull out of the story uh, of the Good Shepherd, they are found in, in union with Christ. That's where their home is. That is where we can access them. 
So what I want to do is basically just try to spread a banquet out in front of you from this story for just a few moments. We don't have to dig very deep. The treasure is right on the top of this story. Listen with me. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So the first course in this banquet feast of what we are invited into through union with Jesus is that the speaking voice of God is our spiritual birthright. Church, I want you to hear that in the depths of your heart. The speaking voice of God in Christ, is your spiritual birthright. And so, yeah, we get to hear God. And and, and honestly, I think that happens for people that are outside the church, that God influences and speaks to them. But I'm not talking just about occasionally hearing God. I'm talking about coming to know his tone of voice in such a way that we have a deep, intimate connection. The, The speaking voice of God is your spiritual birthright as a part of the flock of Jesus. He calls us by name. And and it's not just what he says, but it's uh, the tone of voice. He leads us by his voice. I I was experiencing, uh, you know, a a pretty difficult moment as a pastor over the last week or so. And I'll spare you, you know, all the details, but it's been really hard to perceive the church that we're leading, to perceive the body. And and it's been hard to have uh, loved ones in in our church have to make transitions to different places. And it's hard to know, are we making the right steps? Are we doing the right thing? Is there something, you know, and, and all these questions were just weighing on my soul in a way that's hard to even articulate how heavy it was. And I was trying to say to, uh, to uh, family and friends a, f- a few times as I was trying to get into what was going on, I was like, I feel like God's been faithful. God's been speaking. But it's been like manna. God's been giving me this daily you know, disbursement. And what I feel like I need is a burning bush moment. I need you know, God to give me horizon level vision for what's coming next in my life. And instead, what I feel like I'm getting is just enough for each day. And I feel like I'm wanting to scrape it together and make it into something, something more than it is. I need to know what's gonna happen. And God's saying, I'm here today with you. And I've been, I, I wanna, my prayers have been so honest. My conversations, have been as honest as I can with, with those who, who, who are wa- walking with me, who know and love me. But I've been crying out to God, and I want to tell you, God has been speaking back. And you know, I've been speaking to this church as, as a pastor for, for 12 years. Many of you have heard many of my stories of ways that I've sensed God speaking to me. So take these as, as, as one little small example inside a much larger uh, you know, picture of God's speaking voice in my life. But I was, I was sermon prepping yesterday in the park. And perfect day outside. I, I took my little chair out. I set it up under this tree. I, you know, the, the, the uh, tr- you know, park is in bloom. I'm sitting there. I'm working through this passage. I'm saying, God, what do you want to say? But I'm also like right in the back of my mind. It's all my troubles, all my frustration, all my basically anger with God, all my like, I need more from you right now. And as clear as a bell in my heart, I had this thought, and it was just very simply, what if you just enjoy your life and don't give up? 
that may not sound like a terribly profound thing to you, but in the moment that I was in, it was exactly what I needed to hear from the Holy Spirit. What if you just enjoy what I'm giving you right now and don't give up? Basically, like more is going to be revealed. And that on its own would have been fine, like a nice little insight. I could even be convinced, you know, cynically, like maybe I convinced myself to think that God wanted. But there had been, I, I was sitting there, there had been like a little gentle breeze throughout my entire time in, in the park. Never changed, except right as soon as I thought that, I, I looked up. I thought, oh, I'm going to write that down in my journal. And there was a powerful blast of wind, literally that like pushed my hair back. It flipped over the case of my computer and, bl and blew it behind my chair by quite a bit. So like this sustained wind, the only time it happened, the entire time I was out there, right in my face, right after this, what if you just enjoy life and don't give up? And it was like, it was like this little moment where God was saying, son, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I didn't need to know, maybe that was a coincidence, maybe that wind would have blown at that moment anytime, but God spoke to me. And, and it was like, after all these years, after 25 something years of following, I don't just know that he speaks sometimes, I've learned in my life what his tone of voice is, how to hear him, how to rise up and move towards the shepherd because this he's speaking to me as his son. I want you to know that the speaking voice of God is your spiritual birthright in Christ. No one can take that away from you. I'll just give you one more example. Later in the, in the, in the evening, and basically I had gotten delayed by a bunch of frustrating things. I had wanted to go on a run. And I was fresh. I wasn't. I didn't have the final touches on the sermon. I wanted to be further along in many ways in my day. And I was like, I'm going for this run anyway. I put on this random old playlist and I put it on shuffle. I'm sort of like running, thinking about different things as I go. I get to the end. It's been about 45 minutes, and this uh, I've been praying, saying, God, I need to see. I need to see something. Um, you know, basically right in that same vein I've been praying about for the last couple of weeks. And this song comes on at the end of my run and I just start smiling because the title of the song is You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. And I just knew, I was like, I felt like God put his hand on my shoulder and said, son, you ain't seen nothing yet. And it just like, I just, I just walked down the road like smiling in the presence of God. Now, that's kind of a terrible song. If you guys know, this is Bachman Turner Overdrive. This is very mediocre classic rock. I think in the middle, the beginning of the song, the guy says he meets a devil woman. I don't know about the details of the song. God redeemed it. And that moment, it was an answer to my prayer. And so he, he calls us by name. He leads us by his voice. We can come to know not just that he speaks, but, but that he speaks in a particular personal tone to us that we can come to know that, that, that can be confirmed in the community of, of the body of Christ. And some of you guys are like, all this guy needs is a stiff breeze and some mediocre classic rock. And he's like, it's God. I get that. That's fine. Bring your own thing to God. Let him speak to you how he wants to. The story the imagery of the story pulls this picture into mind where, where you know, we're, we're in an ancient Near East, you know, like uh, agricultural situation. You can imagine a shepherd coming and there's an enclosure and there's several flocks from several families there. And the shepherd comes up and he calls his sheep by name and they come and are separated from the rest of the flock and are ready to go and follow them. He leads them out into pasture. And it says, even in the details, that he's, he's not driving them, but he's leading them on by his voice. 
a little note from one of the commentaries, uh, commentators, D.A. Carson, said, it just warmed my heart to hear this. Unlike Western shepherds who drive the sheep, often using a sheepdog, the shepherds of the Near East, both now and in Jesus' day, lead their flocks, their voice calling them on. That such a shepherd goes ahead of his sheep and draws them constitutes an admirable picture of the master-discipleship relationship. The sheep follows simply because they know his voice. The first chorus in this banquet church is that the speaking voice of God is your inheritance. It is the spiritual birthright we come to in Christ. But that's just the beginning. Jesus goes on. He says, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come in that they might have life and have it to the full. Right on the surface, the abundant life of Christ is unrivaled fullness. The abundant life of Christ is unrivaled fullness. I have come to give you life and life to the full. The end result of taking guidance from any false God, any lesser philosophy, any other sort of cultural messages that we might receive that aren't actually from the heart of God, the result eventually becomes loss or, or deadening or damage to our soul, to our heart, to our relationships, to our world. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But here's the thing, the enemy doesn't come to us like a thief. He doesn't announce himself as a thief to us. Many times the enemy comes to us with a sense of you deserve this. And the you deserve this that the enemy comes to us with can come in two ends of the spectrum. It can come in, in, in a picture of shame or a picture of entitlement. So when, when, when the thief comes and it's, it's an offer to listen to other voices other than the voice of the good shepherd, it's the, the thief that comes to, ki- to kill, steal, and destroy. He'll say, you deserve this. Whatever pain, whatever difficulty, whatever mistakes you've made, and the weight and the brokenness that comes from that, you'll hear the enemy speaking to you, you deserve this. You deserve this. It's not, God's speaking voice is not for you. His promises are not for you. His blessing is not for you. It's for, for someone else. And this is the way the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy to say, you deserve this, to pile shame on our hearts and to say, it counts for everyone else, but it doesn't count for you. Maybe you know that end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is this entitlement. You deserve this. Look how hard the world is. Go out and get what you need. Go out and do what you, you know, what, what, what you see fit. Like basically become the curator of your own own soul, become the captain of your own ship, do things your own way. You deserve this. You deserve a full expression of, of, of your life. And on either end, you deserve this is, is ringing in our ears. The thief doesn't come announcing himself as a thief. Often he comes alongside of us and says, you deserve this. But Jesus is saying, I've come to give you life in a different way and life to the absolute full. So I want to say, if you're struggling to hear the speaking voice of God, begin here. Begin here with what Jesus says to you. I've come to give you life and give it to you to the full. There's nothing else that can offer the fullness of life that we find in Christ. Deep family connection to God forever. A share in this kingdom, not just to witness it, but to participate in it. A new family. An actual uh, place to join in resurrection. Easter's not just a message, it's our home. 
Jesus goes on, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. It does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The Pharisees would have been hearing Ezekiel 34 about these shepherds who just took care of themselves and when danger came, they abandoned the flock. But Christ is saying, I am your protector. I am your guide. When he says, I am the good shepherd, that's what we need to hear. We need to hear he is with us. He is protector. He is guide. We have his speaking voice. We have his absolute promise of abundant life. But that's not in some distant journey that we're on on our own. We have his voice. We also have his protection and his guidance. Who are the God. Think about this for just a minute. Who are the guides that you truly allow to have influence in your life? Who is shaping your picture of the good life? Who is helping you make the decisions that you have to make in your life? Who are your guides? The, 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 if we're not consciously aware of who we allow to be guides in our life, then we're going to take this sort of amalgamation of all these different voices. Many of us, it's Mother's Day, many of us honor our mothers for the way they are guides in our life. And we, we know in the best examples of, of mothering, it's, it's not just that we're given good instruction, it's that we're given presence. It's that we're given love. It's that we're given tenderness, right? It's, it, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, my kids get injured and if, if, if it's a choice, I, you know, and I, I, my, my heart's, you know, become okay with this. When they're hurt, they're running to mom, right? Because there's the, the message of comfort, but also the presence of comfort that comes through in, in just a way that, that, and eventually I'm the second hug and I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. But like, uh, who are the guides in our life? And, and, and the way Jesus is describing this is, is, I'm not a hired hand who's going to flee when the trouble hits. It doesn't mean that no trouble is going to come. It doesn't mean that good shepherd is going to carefully steer you around any possible trouble in your life. That's not what it means. It means that Jesus is going to be with us no matter what we face. We can be confident that he'll be with us as a protector, even though we will face difficulty, and he'll be with us as a guide. In all the, the circumstances of our life, we are invited to remember that Jesus has gone before us into the fullness of the human experience. He's, he's not asking us to do something he hasn't done himself. He has laid down his life for us. There's nothing that he wouldn't give in order to give us a share in his life. And so if pain and agony and grief get through in our story, the reason for that is not that Jesus didn't care or Jesus wouldn't protect us. Whatever else the reasons are, and sometimes the reasons are impossible to name, but whatever the reasons are that pain and grief uh, get through in our story, it's not that Jesus doesn't care or that Jesus wouldn't protect us. He is with us in the middle of the realness of life. I saw a horrific video this week. Maybe you've seen this one or, or one like it and the prevalence, the increase in the number of these attacks is unacceptable in every way. But I saw this horrific video of a man of Asian descent this week in San Francisco and he was attacked on the sidewalk walking with his one-year-old son. 
And the coward who attacks him comes out of nowhere, knocks him to the ground, punches him in the face, sort of stands over him and then goes to, to walk away. And he walks towards his son. And the man who's just been beaten, you can see he leaps up to go and move and protect his son. The fatherly love in the middle of this horror is absolutely unmistakable. And as I was reading this passage, I was thinking about the willingness of being uh, to take the risk to love, to put yourself in the place where danger is coming. The fatherly love is unmistakable in the video. I think the fatherly love is unmistakable that comes through this picture saying, I'm not a hired hand. When the wolf comes, I will be there with you. It doesn't mean the wolf won't come. We've mentioned several times now Ezekiel 34 and this picture of these shepherds who, who weren't doing that, who were just looking after themselves. And God says, I'm going to come and be the shepherd. And then he says, I'm going to put David in, my king, as the, as, as the shepherd who will truly take care of you, who will replace these selfish shepherds. Now, I want you to think for just a moment about David's story because the Messiah is going to come in the line of David. But when we read David's story, we get a picture of what God is looking for, what God is talking about. When we first meet David, he's in an obscure shepherd boy, the baby of the family, the one most likely to be passed over if someone's looking for someone qualified for the role he's eventually going to have. But it says that when David was a shepherd boy, that a lion came against his flock and he put himself at risk and fought the lion off, that a bear came against his flock and that he put himself at risk and he fought the bear off. And so the shepherd boy in obscurity learned to put himself at great risk for the sake of the flock. And this actually becomes a part of his story, right? He spared, the, the flock is spared because David fights and wins a victory and they get a share in it. But then we see that later as, as he goes to take uh, uh, messages and, and, and refreshments to his brothers who were on the field of battle. And he hears Goliath taunting the people of Israel, this famous story in David's life, David and Goliath. If we know any story from the Old Testament, it's probably this one. What does David do? He hears the enemy of the people of God and he goes out to fight them, similar to the lion and the bear. He literally recalls the faithfulness of God in those situations as, as a foundation for why he's willing to go out and fight Goliath. He wins a victory over Goliath. It's David David's victory, and yet the nation has a share in it. But here's the thing. In each of those instances, the victory was for a certain group at a certain time. Initially, it's the flock that he's, he's taking care of. Then it's the nation of Israel in that moment against the Philistines. They beat this enemy, and they have peace for this amount of time for this one group. Jesus is coming in the line of David, to face the common enemy of all humanity, to win a victory that not just one group of people at one specific time can share in, but all of humanity can share in. All of us can, can participate in the victory that Jesus is winning. These, these words that he's, he's saying, I, I will step in, I, I, I will fight the, the, the thing that's coming against you in order to, to, to see your life spirit, in order for you to share in my family, are, are incredibly powerful. One nuance that struck my heart as I was reading them this time is that these words were spoken to Jesus' disciples who were standing there listening. Many of them are going to go on to give their very life proclaiming the resurrection, proclaiming the kingdom, proclaiming this Jesus. That means his protection doesn't spare us danger. It doesn't spare us grief, but it means he's with us in the middle. It means that uh, we are spared going through danger or grief alone. There is something worse than pain and death. 
And it's impossible for us sometimes to think about that in our culture, but there is something worse than pain and death, and that is life without God. There's this interesting dynamic in leadership in our culture, and that is that the greater a leader gets, the more distant they seem to be from regular people. And we kind of come to expect this, that the, the, the more important or powerful or, or, or better or, or more followers that a leader has, the, the less accessible they would be. And Jesus is giving us an alternative picture. He is the good shepherd and he is the one who's stepping in when the wolf comes. He is the one who's saying, I'm gonna go out and face your enemy so that you can share in my victory. victory. The way of Jesus' leadership doesn't work the same as the way the world does. There are wolves in this world but Jesus is with us. Let me give you this last section. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep who are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus has kept on insisting to anyone who would listen, but especially to his disciples, that he's going to have to face immense trouble as a part of accomplishing redemption. I love how N.T. Wright says this, uh, now in this story, now he declares that violent death is not just a dangerous possibility, it's his vocation. And the best explanation of why this might be so is found not in heavy volumes of abstract theology, but in this very parable, this very down-to-earth picture of the shepherd and the sheep. The sheep are facing danger, the shepherd will go to meet it. And if necessary, he will take upon himself the fate that would otherwise befall the sheep. In Jesus' case, it was necessary, and he did. He's going to die to make us family. That's the message of the cross, that he's gone out, outside the city, on his own to face the enemy, like David and Goliath, but not so that he can just win a victory for one group at one period of time, but he can win a victory for all who will come to him from any tribe, tongue, and nation, because Jesus is making a diverse, beautiful family from across the ages. Actually, the word good and good shepherd here is a difficult word to translate. It doesn't just mean morally upright. It means staggeringly beautiful. And the good shepherd is making a staggeringly beautiful family from across the ages, from across the world. And, 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 and he's sharing this commitment to this broad, diverse flock with people whose hopes were entirely centered on their thing and their moment. They were missing miracles because they were so zoomed in on their own thing, their own moment. And Jesus is saying, lift your eyes. There's something more happening here. When, when, when God finds us bearing down just on our own selfishness, He is willing to lift our eyes. He is willing to expand our vision. He's willing to say, there's more happening here than you might be seeing. He might be willing to send a stiff breeze to you in the park and say, son, can you just enjoy what I'm giving you and not give up? You ain't seen nothing yet. The cross and the resurrection is the basis of this new family. No longer do we treat one another by just our outer qualifications, the way the rest of the world evaluates one another. 
Easter is not just a message for us. It is, it is our home. It is our place of participation. We begin to live out this resurrection and to leave in our wake this string of empty tombs where we're now qualified by God's love, not just by the story that we happen to be born into. The good shepherd who's coming in power and authority isn't like a distant leader. He is with us in the pain, literally to the point of laying down his life for us. And on the cross, we know Jesus famously says, it is finished. Church, I want you to know something for absolutely certain today. In Christ, your redemption is complete. There is not a single thing that you need to add to what Christ has done to make yourself okay to make yourself beloved, to make yourself included, to make yourself family, to make yourself a part of this kingdom forever. And nothing can snatch that away. Nothing can pry you out of his hand. He is a good enough shepherd to take whatever is coming in your life and to carry you through it, to speak to you, to offer you abundance, to be your protection and guide, to give you mercy, to lay down his life You are a beloved member of the family. You are not alone. Let me say this. Your life is not slipping away a day at a time. You are speeding towards it. You are heading towards the fullness that Christ is talking about. Church, think for just a moment about what we've just heard. We find in the good shepherd. He's the gate, the place of entrance, He's also the the, the voice. He's the good shepherd. As the images pile up, we need to know what that that means when you've got a bunch of metaphors on top of each other is that the reality can't be captured in one picture. He transcends. And yet, this transcendent God who shook the mountain is here. Personal, speaking, saving, shepherding. The speaking voice of God absolute, unrivaled, abundant life, loving protection, this beautiful, diverse family that we are brought into. So let me ask you these questions as we prepare to pray. Where do you need to hear his voice today? I was so grateful in that moment in the park that I had been really honest in my prayers leading up to that, that I'd been sharing, here's where I'm wrestling, God. Where do you need to hear the speaking voice of God? Or maybe you need to clarify, what's God saying to me right now? Are there false gods or false guides that you need to let go of because you know they're not going to lead to abundant life? And here is the good shepherd saying, I've come to give you life and give it to you to the full. Where do you need protection from Jesus right now? Be honest with where you really are. But know that your redemption is complete. It is finished. Christ has died. Christ is risen. It is Eastertide. You are a beloved member of the family. You are not alone, church. Your life is not slipping away. You are speeding towards it. The good shepherd is with us. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would minister this life to your people today, that you would bear the fruit of your kingdom. Speak to us, God. Give us your abundant life. Give us your mercy and protection. Show us this beautifully diverse family that we're a part of. Help us, God, right now in faith to come to the Good Shepherd 
In Jesus' name, amen.